we've been studying the life of this man, Jeremiah, who's the builder, and he, it's 52 chapters, the book of Jeremiah. He lives a long life. And when you think about the trajectory of a life, to, to understand that it's all lived inside the mercy of God, I need to be reminded of that today. And maybe you do as well. Jeremiah was called to be a builder as a young man, about the age of a college student. We meet him today in the twilight years of a lifespan in the ancient world. He's in his, uh, just about in his 60s. And he's in prison. He's in jail in Jerusalem. Ralph Waldo Emerson said that in an unjust society, the only place for a just man is in prison. And it turns out that all of his truth telling, all of his words of good news have been construed by the people of God as treason. And they've imprisoned him on trumped up charges. Think of the Apostle Paul who spent some time in prison himself. He writes in Romans 3, 26 that God is just. And he's the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. He reminds us of mercy. We're going to look today at the book of Lamentations, which is a, a beautiful book that most people never read. And I want to invite you right into the heart of the book. Um, let's open up and turn to Lamentations chapter 3. It's the middle of a five-chapter book that has five poems. It's a cry uh, for mercy. And uh, I'd like to invite you to read with me. So please turn to page 669 of the Pew Bible and turn to page Lamentations 3, verses 19 through 33. And if you're able, would you stand? Let's declare this as our truth today as we worship Jesus. When we're done reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. If you believe it, you can say, thanks be to God. Listen carefully. You're reading God's holy word. The thought of my affliction and my homelessness is wormwood and gall. My soul continually thinks of it and is bowed down within me. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul that seeks him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for one to bear the yoke in youth, to sit alone in silence when the Lord has imposed it, to put one's mouth to the dust that there may yet be hope, to give one's cheek to the smiter and be filled with insults. For the Lord will not reject forever. Although he causes grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love, for he does not willingly afflict or grieve anyone. This is the word of the Lord. Heaven and earth will pass away, but what you read never will. Please be seated. This past week, I had the privilege of interacting with one of our university students. Um, George Lepke is a engineering student from Bellingham here at the University of Washington. And I asked him a question. I hope to introduce you to George in a couple of weeks. But I asked him, what does it take to introduce, to introduce his generation to Jesus? What would it take to interest your generation in Jesus? 
And he immediately said, love. But then he added reflexively, with brokenness. Love and brokenness. And I was taken aback by that. Here's what he said. When you love people, it can't be from a place of superiority. They have to know that you struggle just like them, that you know what it's like to party too much, to have doubts, to hurt, to make bad decisions. Love with brokenness reminds me of mercy. And as we think about lamentations, we get invited into a deeper experience of God's mercy in Jesus Christ. I want to reflect with you on uh, three things, broken words, better memories, and finally, true home. First, broken words. It seems to me that the writer of Lamentations is very honest about the brokenness in his life. Who is the writer of Lamentations? Whose words did we just read? Well, he introduces himself to us in verse 1 of chapter 3. You might want to keep your book open uh, this morning. You'll see he says, I am the one who has seen affliction. Tradition tells us this would be Jeremiah. Uh, but Jeremiah doesn't introduce himself as Jeremiah if he is the author. And we don't know for sure. It's an anonymous book. What he does use is characters, uh, poetic persona. There's in the first two chapters a character called Lady Jerusalem. And here we meet this one. The NIV translates it, I am the man. But it's not the normal Hebrew word for man or male. It's actually the Hebrew word that comes from the verb to excel, to be superior. The word is geber. And you hear that in the name Gabriel, geber, Gabriel. Gabriel is the superior of all the angels, the archangel. And so he says, I am the man. Some would translate this, I am the, the valiant man. I am the superior man. I am the strong man. But the interesting thing to me is, and I kind of find myself invited into this, is that the strong man here is a broken man. That the strong man here is a weak man. And, and all he has for us are broken words. I am the strong man who has seen affliction. Let me tell you the story of my life. It's a story of failure, rebellion, brokenness, and pain. That's who I am. There's a note of irony in this label, strong man. If we step back from chapter three and look at the whole book, it's five poems, all of which are highly structured. They're all acrostic uh, poems, which means they're built uh, with the first word of each section is, is the next letter. They're alphabet, alphabet acrostics. And so there are 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet, and there are 22 sections to each of these five poems. And uh, it's like the writer is saying, you know what, I have suffered it all. Everything that could go wrong has gone wrong from A to Z. It suggests this comprehensive, massive and overwhelming pain. That's why we call it uh, lamentations. He has broken words for life. He's saying, my life is broken. I've made bad decisions. He's speaking, by the way, on behalf of the people of Judah who have been warned time after time to turn to God's grace but have refused 
And ultimately now they've been victims of this brutal marauding force from the east, the Babylonian army is just like devastated Jerusalem. We have no kind of equivalent understanding except to look at a place like Syria and see in the news the children who are suffering. And that's what it looked like in the streets of Jerusalem. And he's saying, I know that I'm complicit. I know that somehow I have turned from God in a way that has propagated the injustice that has opened the door to this violence. I'm part of this. I'm responsible for this. But it's not just his life that's broken, it's also his faith that's broken. And this is interesting because he goes further than to accept responsibility for himself. He also lays responsibility at the feet of God. And this is really surprising for an ancient person in a traditional culture with the respect for authority that they would have. Nobody would think about raising a fist against your deity in the ancient world. And yet there's a freedom here for him to say, God, the punishment is greater than the crime. You are the one who has done this to us as well. He says, the Lord has destroyed without mercy. The young and the old are lying in the streets. You have killed. That's chapter 2, verse 21. Oh, my goodness. That's uncomfortably honest of him. He seems to be saying, I can't make sense of my life, the choices that I've made. I can't make sense of you, God, with the choices you've made. Great Old Testament scholar Christopher Wright describes lament as, quote, faith struggling with vertigo over the chasm between what it knows to be true about God and the realities of what it sees or experiences in this fallen world. And, and, and this is remarkably authentic. And I, and I, I find myself drawn to it. I mean, if, if I were to invent a religion, I would make it um, a religion of like, everything is awesome. Right? If you just come and join our team, your life is going to go great. You know, all of our leaders are the successful people. They follow the rules and, you know, and it just works out for you. If you don't follow the rules, well, it's your own fault and you get what you deserve. That is not the portrayal of the God of Israel that this strong man is offering. This is real. This is a life I can't make sense of. This is a God I can't make sense of. And so all I have are broken words, but I speak them. I speak them to you, to the world, for all to see. I speak them most importantly to God. And, and I find that kind of challenging because so often the temptation in my life when I'm faced with this kind of disorientation is to want to walk away. If I can't make sense of this God, or if this God doesn't do what I need this God to do for my life in order to meet my goals, help me get to where I'm trying to go, then I walk away. But he doesn't. He stays in relationship. Or sometimes I suppress my questions and my doubts. I, I don't want to ruffle any feathers. I don't want to be the one guy who doesn't seem to fit in. So I, I just get quiet. And he doesn't do that either. He's still speaking. Or I hide, I pretend to be better than I am. I come into a place and I see all you guys and I go, wow, these are incredibly impressive, beautiful people. I wish I could be like them. So I pretend to be like them. And then we find out later that we're all pretending to be like the beautiful people we wish we could be. Until we say, I'm done with that. Because I've got a broken life, I'm gonna have broken words. And that's what we see this strong man. That's the strength of this strong man, it seems to me. I'm reminded of a, a community that grew in strength and it was a, 
a community of young couples. They were newly married in Los Angeles, and it grew in strength precisely because they were able to make contact with their brokenness and be honest about it. This young married group, they would gather and on Sunday and they would just say, hey, we got three questions and they'd have like one couple each week that would share their story and they would ask the couple, they called it Spotlight Couple because it was in LA and they love Spotlight, so here's a Spotlight Couple. And so first you ask, uh, uh, how'd you meet? Second you ask, what do you love about your partner? And third is, and this is the only question anybody really ever heard, um, what's hard about marriage? And the hearing of somebody else honest about the brokenness in their lives opens up these doors to admit the brokenness in my life and to encounter Jesus, the mercy of Jesus right there in reality. And it was so powerful for that community. They call themselves a mash unit for young couples because it's a hard world to live in. We're broken builders with words for our brokenness we're also, and, and here's a second observation, we're broken builders who live with better memories. Let me talk about better memories for a second. At the heart of this book, which is the section that you just read, the, this highly structured book has a center, sort of mathematically, and it's the part we read, and, and it's an affirmation of God's love. And it's a love that changes the way this strong man thinks. It's a love that disrupts the memories with which he's living. Let me show you this. Uh, look at uh, verse 19. Actually, if you're taking notes, will you write down this? Write down these five letters. Z-C-T-Y-K. Z-C-T-Y-K. Because uh, these are the the letters that the writer is working with in this part of Lamentations. Actually, what he does is he slows us down and he has three verses for each of the letters. So instead of having 22 verses, there are 66 verses here. And in verse 19, we come to Z. So 19 is Z through 21. And the reason it's Z is because the word for remember, it starts with Z in Hebrew. This, uh, these three verses are about uh, memory. Oh, I'll come back to that. Let me just run you all the way through. Verse 22 is C, uh, that's Kof. Zion, Kof, Hebrew letter Kof, uh, and, uh, or C-H, it's for chesed, steadfast love. That whole, those three verses, 22 to 24, about the chesed, C, uh, of God. And then 25 through 27, T, put your T there. Tov uh, is the Hebrew word for good, and each of those three verses starts with the Hebrew word for tov. Good, good, good. Not that the pain is good, but God in the midst of the pain is good. And then why is yod for uh, verses 28 through 30? That's where the verbs come in. The, the verbal form starts with the word yo. It calls us to respond to this. And then k uh, at the end, ki uh, is the Hebrew word uh, for um, because. And those words uh, give us the because. And I'll come back to that in a second, I hope. But uh, verse 19, memory. The thought of my affliction and my homelessness is wormwood and gall. My soul continually thinks of it my, and is bowed down within me. He's saying every time my eyes open, all I can do is remember the violence and the destruction of Jerusalem. My uh, uh, homelessness is wormwood and gall. It's bitter. I, I, even when I close my eyes, still images flash up of people in pain 
My soul is continually thinking of it and is bowed down within me. We would call this PTSD and depression. These are irrepressible and continual, persistent memories. He's saying, I'm overwhelmed. But then in verse 21, there's a change. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. Now he's saying there's a mental shift. I move from memories that are irrepressible to a memory of what? Verse 22, the steadfast love of the Lord. The chesed of God, the covenant faithfulness of God. A God who pulls people out of slavery in Egypt and delivers them into the promised land. The story of Israel comes back to my mind. Now, does it come naturally? No. And here's where you really have to understand the Hebrew, and I apologize for going this deep into it, but verse 21, but this I call to mind, is a verbal form in Hebrew that's causative. Uh, meaning it's not just, oh, I happen to remember. He's, it's, I caused my mind to remember. I forced my mind to think about it. Literally, I would, I would translate this. I make my heart return to this. It's a Hebrew word for heart there, which doesn't just speak of affections. It speaks of the center of the life, the will. I push the memory of God's great redeeming acts into the center of my awareness, right into the heart of my being. And that, and therefore, he says, I have hope. So, so this is about better memories. This is about, yeah, I see all the pain. It's not denial. No one could uh, accuse the strong man of being in denial. Let's, you know, read the book of Lamentations. He's very realistic about the brokenness of the world. But, but he says, that's not all I look at. I, through the eyes of faith, I go back through time and I look at what God has done faithfully in history with my, with my people rescuing them from slavery in Egypt. And I know that's his heart, steadfast love. His mercies are ever present, even in the midst of my brokenness, particularly in the midst of my brokenness. I've told you before, some of you have heard me say this, that my growing edge is to be more positive. And, and, and I talk about being Mr. Positive. And I invited you to be Ms. Positive or Mr. Positive. And the Apostle Paul reminds us, even when he's in prison in Philippians chapter four, to think about these things, whatever's true, whatever's good, whatever's honorable. Because by thinking about those things, by remembering the truth of God and his mercy in the midst of our crisis, it starts to change the outlook. It's not that we stop seeing the brokenness, it's that we see the transformation of that brokenness and have an opportunity to enter into it. And, and so th this leads us to our practice that I wanna offer you this week. And it is to lament, but I want, if you write the word lament down, put it all in lowercase except for the M in the middle. And the M is for memory. So this is lament with a capital M. That's our practice. Lament with a capital N. That is, when you think about your brokenness, when you think about the brokenness of your family and the brokenness of our city, the brokenness of our world, yes, lament, speak of it. Pray about it. But then shift your thinking to the memory of God's redeeming work and great love. That's where you'll make contact with mercy, love with brokenness. I can remember praying with a student many years ago who said, oh God, show me your love by getting me this apartment. I need a place to live and this is the perfect apartment for me. I can afford it. And I thought, what if she doesn't get that apartment? Will she draw the conclusion that God doesn't love her? 
And so many of us look at the circumstances of our lives and we think, oh my gosh, God has it in for me and I knew it, I deserve it. This is is what's happening. And the strong man says, that's not the way it works. That's the road to despair, not hope. What you've got to do is shift your thinking back to the great faithfulness of God. Paul himself says in Romans 5, 8, he says, God proves his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ gets our apartment for us. Right? No. (laughs) Christ heals the disease, right? No, Christ brings justice and everything works out fine, right? No, God proves his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It's God's love on the cross in Jesus Christ that is the proof of his mercy. Even when your circumstances don't show any evidence. So shift your memory. Remember the faithful acts of God in the center of history. And then finally, there's a third observation. We have broken words. We have better memory. There's a new home here for broken builders, a true home in Jesus. If you look one last time at our passage, you'll see that the strong man describes his situation as homelessness. That's where the bitter comes. And of course, literally, that's true. That Israel has lost the promised land now. They're off, most of them, in Babylon. By the way, Jeremiah was in prison when the Babylonian armies came in. It was an officer of the Babylonian army that actually let him out of prison. He stayed there for some period of years with a a small band of poor people that were just kind of left behind and it became so violent and dangerous in Jerusalem that this band went down to Egypt and they forced Jeremiah to go with him. He likely died in Egypt. And so literally he is homeless and God's people are homeless. But notice the insight in verse 24. It's in quotation marks because he is now preaching the gospel to himself. He's Mr. Positive. He's saying to himself, the Lord is my portion. Now, that word portion means allocation of land. When the 12 tribes came into the promised land, each of the tribes got a portion of land, except for the Levites. The Levites administered God's mercy. They were there at the temple on behalf of the people. Here, the strong man is claiming the legacy and the portion of a Levite. He's saying, I've lost the land, but it means I I haven't thereby lost God's love and mercy. I'm going to stand in the place of a Levite, receiving God's mercy in my homelessness and and being an agent of mercy uh, in the world. My new home is not a place, it's a person. It's relationship with a God of mercy. And for us, that's Jesus Christ. There's a Jewish midrash on the book of Lamentations, basically a Jewish commentary. It says, all the severe prophecies that Jeremiah prophesied against Israel were anticipated and healed by Isaiah. The Jewish commentators are saying, oh yeah, by the time we get to Jeremiah, what Isaiah was talking about is becoming clearer. Because in Isaiah 40 through chapter 55, we have the suffering servant who brings comfort and hope to God's people. And now, if you look carefully at Lamentations 3, you'll see this suffering servant is emerging again. Commentators point out that that the strong man walks in darkness, verse 2, just like Isaiah. Uh, He's struck on the cheek, verse 30, just like Isaiah. Is stricken, pierced, afflicted, and crushed, verses 113, 19, and 33, just like Isaiah. He's cut off and buried, Verse 53, just like the suffering servant that Isaiah looks forward to, and now we know just like who? Jesus. 
Jesus is the embodiment of God's mercy. Jesus is God himself entering the space-time continuum as a creature, the strong man entering into the brokenness of the world to disrupt and transform it. Our home is a person. Our home is Jesus. One of the great unsung, unsung heroes of the last generation is a man named Witold Pileski. Some of you may know his name. Witold Pileski was a Polish intelligence officer during World War II. There were rumors in Poland that the German Nazis were doing atrocious things, lamentable things in concentration camps to Jews. And we told Pileski was a, not a Jew himself. He was a Roman Catholic believer. He had a deep faith. He wanted to find out if those rumors were true. And so he tried to uh, sneak into a concentration camp as a prisoner. Now he had a family, a husband, a wife and kids. Um, but it was his faith that motivated him. And so what he did was he developed fake papers, a Jewish name, walked into Warsaw during one of the routine roundup of Jews and just walked into the crowd and they took him to Auschwitz where for months he suffered among prisoners as a prisoner, giving witness to a resistance that was much greater than any of those prisoners could understand that one day would overwhelm the evil of German Nazism. We told Pilecki was starved, was beaten with a metal rod, lost his teeth. He suffered. He was shot. But there he began to form a resistance movement of, of prisoners who began to believe him that there was a greater reality that was breaking in and would soon overwhelm and transform all the pain. And I think that's a great picture of what God has done in Jesus Christ. He's come right into our pain. He's made our brokenness, his brokenness. Our cries of lament are his cries from the cross. He cries for me, he cries for you. He cries for anybody who has a broken heart. He cries for the sinner who has rebelled against God. He's taken our place, taken our judgment to bring healing to all people. We don't need to run from our brokenness. We just need to run to him, to Jesus. And that's what I think our student George Lepke is after. That's what I think he's telling us his generation needs most. Love with brokenness. It's what the world needs. It's what builds. Brothers and sisters, I'm so excited about the future of this church. I believe God is building something new and wonderful here. It's not everything's gonna change. Actually, most of it you'll go, oh yeah, that's what we've been doing all along but we're gonna do it in a new day. And it's gonna to have to start with reclaiming God's mercy in our own lives and for this world, a kind of a humble posture that, in which renewal can break open because we're not afraid to confess our sin. We're not afraid to probe the ways in which we've been complicit with the forces of brokenness in our world and our city. And on behalf of our city, we're willing to repent and to believe that in Jesus Christ, there's hope. By the way, that's what the brother of Jesus was talking about when he wrote a brief letter, which I'm just gonna close with because we hardly ever read Jude in church. So let me just read to you from Jude chapter one, verse 20. 
And, and listen to the theme. Remember, Jude scoffed at Jesus. He's one of his brothers, but he didn't believe any of this nonsense about a Messiah until he saw the great act of God's redeeming love, witness to his brother crucified on a cross and then most compellingly risen from the dead. And Jude would write, beloved, build yourselves up on your most holy faith. Keep yourselves in the love of God. Look forward to the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life and have mercy. Have mercy. Let's pray. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you've already forgiven us for turning away from you. Now we pray that you'll forgive us from turning from mercy. We pray that you'll give us the freedom to admit we're people whose lives are not put together. We're people who experience mercy in our broken lives. We pray that individually, we pray that corporately. And we just thank you. We pray that the joy that comes from our gratitude would be visible, even in the midst of all the pain. We pray in Christ's name, amen.